I really believe that today, if we are willing, if we are willing, God will break many of the things that we carry around with us, maybe for decades, maybe for years. There's things that we carry, just excess baggage that we carry in our lives, maybe in our identity, uh, maybe the way we see God. And I pray that today would be a day of breaking more than anything else. I pray that today that we can leave here understanding that we could be free in Christ, the freedom of Christ. That's, that's what I long for you guys, that there would be joy in walking with Christ, that there would be not, not this, this weight, God, this is too much, but a joy of, of just finding yourself knowing who God is. And, and so that's, that is my goal today. That is my goal today. So if you're a guest and, or if you're online, my name is John. We've been going through a time of prayer and fasting. And of course, during this time, all chaos always breaks loose. Just know that. When you pray and fast and you seek God's face, it just gets, I, I feel like there's a spiritual like attack or a spiritual something that just makes everything harder. It makes everything harder. But I believe that God wants us to push through and break through. And that's what we're doing. If you haven't joined uh, the prayer and fasting, we're going all the way to the 21st. I, I just ask you can join with me. Just get on with me. I believe that there, that breakthrough is still available for all of us, that there's things that God wants to work in us. And that also, I've, been, I've just been praying for our church for discipleship and that God would make, just give us that one thing that he wants us to do to impact Thornton the greatest that we can. We believe that we are the light of the world like like Jesus has told us that we are the light of the world you are the light of the world last week we looked beneath the surface and we're going to continue in this series called emotionally healthy spirituality emotionally healthy spirituality and today we are going to the second part and it's called breaking the power of the past say breaking the power of the past pray one more time before you get in here but I want to ask you will you join me today will you just ask God with me God if there's things in my life that I can't see or things in my life that I can't break on my own God will you reveal it in the light and will you help me break this over my life and I'm gonna just pray that over us Heavenly Father there is things Lord that we can't grasp in, in, in the spiritual there's things in our life broken emotions things that have happened in our past that still haunt us today, Lord. Will you break the power of our past so we can live, Lord, for you and we can live in the freedom of Christ. That's what you want to do. And I pray, Lord God, set people free today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Breaking the power of the past. Now that sounds fun, right? Anyone, right? Oh, I want to do this, right? It, it doesn't sound fun. Listen, we all have a past. We do. And, 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 and pasts are powerful. Like, like it or not, no matter what you say about, oh, I got this, I got this. We, there's things in our past that constantly come up, and we all have it. And for, some, and for some, it's a blessing. Our past is a blessing. For others, it's heavy. It's heavy. Things you've been through and things that continue to come up that won't let you move forward. You feel a little stuck, right? Sometimes you feel like certain parts of your life is in arrested development. Do you know what I mean? Just on pause. And you're like, 
why is this on pause right now? But most, for most of us, it's a mix. It's, it's a mix. It's blessings, and, and our past brings blessings, but also the, a heaviness. And despite where you may land, I want you to know that Jesus can break every power of our past. That is the main thing. Jesus can break every power over our lives. Yet we got to allow God to do some work. We can't say, do stuff, God. I want you to change me, but no, don't touch that, right? That hurts too much. That's, that still feels wounded. If there's an area of your life when someone brings up and it hurts, it's still wounded. If someone talks about a uh, father and you're like, ugh. Or if someone talks about marriage, you're like, no, <laughs> no. If someone talks about childhood, you're like, I don't want to go there. That, that means there's still a wound that has remained there because it's still very sensitive. It's very sensitive. But can we allow Jesus into all areas of our life as we dig beneath the surface of our lives, including our emotions? Our emotions. See, there's a quote I'm going to put up here. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Think about that for a moment. Because there's, we think, oh, man, I'm doing good. I'm doing all these spiritual things, right? Like, and I feel like there's times that uh, maybe we, we've done this wrong as a church. We say, come to church. And right when they come, they're like, I want, my, you know, I want things to change. So immediately we feed them enough scripture and they memorize scripture and that's really good and we get them get them serving and that's really good and then we get them into all these groups and they're busy and that's that could be good but when do we deal with the things of our past because I know so many people who come to church for years and there's a moment that this wound comes up and they break apart it's like taking that one jenga piece out and the whole thing starts to shatter you ever seen that I've seen it in so many people's lives, and I used to say, God, what is that? Maybe they don't love you anymore. Maybe this, that, or the other thing. I've made all sorts of excuses. Maybe we don't have the right systems, but maybe we're not dealing with all of us. Maybe we're loving God with all our mind and all our strength, but we're not loving God with all our heart and all our soul. All our soul. And so this is what we're going into. And I'm no expert. I'm telling you, I'm no expert. I'm just a fellow journeyman with you. And we're journeying this discipleship together. And it's not easy for me either. I was dealing with myself this week. And, and, but I know if I need this, we need this. We need this. Because many of us in our life, we have learned unhealthy ways to manage our heart. We really have. We've learned unhealthy ways to manage our emotions. And undealt with emotions has a way to blow up on us. They do. It starts to bubble up seemingly out of nowhere. And we're like, that was out of nowhere. Have you ever said that was out of nowhere? It's not out of nowhere. <laughs> it's, it's in you. What's in you comes out of us, right? In anxiety. My, that depression was out of nowhere. No, there was something going on in you. That anxiety is out of nowhere. That emptiness, that feeling that I get, that I feel kind of empty, that's out of nowhere. Or unresolved frustration, that I deal with that. I'm just like, why am I frustrated? I'm walking around. I don't even know why I'm frustrated. Any, anyone? Anyone? You look at your moment in life and you feel a little frustrated, right? Bitterness or this comparison starts coming over. And God tells us there's a better way. There is a better way. But will you step into the deep waters with me? 
Because you got to. If you, do, if you want change in your heart and your soul, you gotta, you got to walk into the deep waters. You can't just go ankle deep and say, that was good. Right? It's, it's like worshiping God. And Jen's trying to get you into, into worship, not so that she could feel good. No, because we were created to worship God. And when we were worshiping God with all of our heart and all of our mind and strength, there is something that comes alive in us. And there's a purpose that comes alive in us. And Jen, it's not Jen just sitting back like, that would be good. Emo, like people who are worshiping God passionately. No, that's not the purpose of worship. Many, we, we were built to worship, but also it's the best thing for you. I know. It's the best thing for you. I was thinking, you know, God doesn't really need our worship. He has angels, choirs going. God has way better voices going on right now. And he looks at us, he knows, he goes, you need it today. You're going through a rough time, and you need to get your mind off your situation and back on God. And that's what worship does for us. It sets, sets us free. So it, it, there's a better way, but you got to walk into that. You can't just go ankle deep. You can't just go knee deep and say, man. What's going on with them? Why not me, right? Into, you got to go into the hidden places of you. You got to take an axe or a shovel and begin to root out broken foundations and allow Jesus into every part of our lives. And it's not easy. It's not. But I dare you. I dare you to go for it. I dare you to go into a place where you've never been before. I'm not trying to Star Trek you, but I, I mean it. I, want, I dare you to go for it. And say, God, you got, all, you got backstage access to my life. Even the dark parts that I'd never talk about to nobody. To nobody. I'll dig it up for you, God. Allow Jesus to make you whole. Mind, strength, heart, and soul. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Exodus 20. All right. We love the Word of God. Because the word of God always reveals Jesus. It leads to Jesus. And Jesus will trend, just ac- absolutely transform our lives. So here, I'm going to give you some backstory. Here is The Israelites here have been just set free in Exodus 20. They just came out of slavery, out of Egypt after 400 years. Say 400 years. That is longer than the United States has been a country. They've been in slavery that long, right? generations and generations and generations of oppression that's all they've known for a very long time and here comes Moses here comes Moses sorry I cracked my neck but here comes Moses the leader he's going up to Mount Sinai because he didn't know what to do he's asking God what do I need to do right this is good he's showing us something when you don't know what to do you we got to make time for God we don't just sit back and say God do something no sometimes you got to separate yourself and get to God. You got to give your time uh, to get away and get with God. So that's what Moses does. He goes up this mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God, asking God, what do you want to do? And this is what God says to him. He says, this is what I want you guys to do. I want to give you some, I want to give you a set of rules here. I want to give you, I want to give you some guidance. He says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I love that. That's part one. And out of the house of bondage. He not only brings them out of Egypt, but he brings them out of slavery. There's two things that God is trying to break over them. No, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself 
a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or, in, or, or that is in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, here's the part I, I want to focus on. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities or the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of all those who hate me. But showing mercy and love to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my command. I forget that part is in the Ten Commandments. I just read it, you know, I just rattle them off. And I was like, oh, yeah, that part's there. And I was like, why? Because we read the Ten Commandments as individuals like, oh, my sin should just mess with me, right? And God's like, no. The, the way that sin works, it, it, it hurts the whole family, the whole lineage. It goes deeper than we ever can imagine. The roots go down deep, right? Sins of the fathers being punished. Third and fourth generation, I was thinking. And then blessings to the thousands of generations. So I call this generations of sin and generations of blessing. Think about that. In the story of Israel, we can see blessing and sin playing out in a nation and also playing out in families. When you read through the book of Genesis and Exodus, you see it playing out in families, right? And listen, you and your family have a story too. And, and some of us, we've had great foundations. Isn't that true? We've been given great foundation, a family of blessing, an empowering heritage. And others of us, we're still reeling, just to be honest. We're reeling, haunted by some words spoken over you by people you love. Some of us are dealing with today abandonment, abuse, betrayal by the people you have loved most. Some of us had things done to us that are so wicked and inexcusable that it's affecting you even today. Some of us, we have done things that are inexcusable and so destructive. I was just thinking about my own life, and I was thinking about these things. I'm thinking about the destructive patterns that I've put on others, the things I've done in the past that I'm ashamed of. And I know it's not easy, but listen, our family of origin has radical implications that play out in our lives today. Radical implications. More than we recognize. Pain that goes from generation to generation. Cycles of sin and destruction. And God, he's not okay with it. That's what he says. He's not okay with it. But are we bold enough to make our stand that it stops with me? That is what I'm asking you. Are we bold enough to look at what's going on instead of just staying busy? Because busyness really can, can shell or could really hide in our lives what's going on underneath, right? Can we be bold enough to make our stand that the gospel, that Jesus affects not only our mind and strength, but our heart and soul. Our heart and soul, our emotions, the things that we feel and hurt. I, I, lo- I love this movie. It's called Shawshank Redemption. Anyone know that movie? Yeah, there's Andy, and who was Morgan Freeman's character? Red, yeah, with his voice narrating, right? I love, there's a scene at, at pretty close to the end of the movie. He's in a grocery store, 
And, 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 and this is so true about us. When I, and, and, and read Morgan Freeman's character. He's freshly out of prison, and, and he really didn't want to leave. That's something to think about. He, this guy's freshly out of prison. He doesn't want to really leave. He's afraid of the different outside world after 40 years in Shawshank, right? 40 years in prison. This is all he knew, and now he's working as a grocery clerk, just checking people out, putting food in bags. And there's a scene in the middle of work that he, he raises his hands. Do you guys remember? Some of you guys watched it. Uh, you know, he raises his hands. I, I only watched the TV version, not that rated R version that was on VHS. Now I'm just messing, right? But here's Red. He raises his hands like a student in class because he can't hold it any longer. And in this awkward moment, he proceeds to ask his manager. He says, sir, can I use the bathroom? And his manager is like, Red, you don't need to ask me to use the bathroom. Just go like go. You don't need to ask me. And then, of course, then it starts narrating as he's using the bathroom. It's a very cool scene, right? It says, for 40 years. He has a southern accent. I I can't do it. It's an Asian southern accent, all right? But but bear with me. But bear with me. For 40 years, you should have done this. (laughs) I've been asking permission to pee. I can't squeeze a drop without say-so. And, I, uh, and you're like, why would you even say that? Right? But it is, he's a free man living, and he's working, but he still lives like he's imprisoned. He's a free man, but he still lives. He continues to live like he's in prison. And this is great insight for us. We all have a tendency to lock in. Say lock in. Yeah, especially from trauma and, and from childhood pains. It just starts, it just stays with us. I mean, how many of us, we've said things like, oh, I'm never going to do I'm never going to do what my parents did. I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my dad. And then you look at yourself, you're like, I'm just like them. I say the same things they say. I do the same things they do, right? And, and I'm becoming just like them. Or some of us, we overcorrect. And I'm, I'm calling myself, I'm an overcorrector, right? We want to overcontrol because of something that happened to us. We, leave, we overcorrect to the other side, overcontrol, get overbearing, overresponding in that area, showing me and you that that pain still hangs over our head unintentionally. Think about that. The truth is, it's still locked in. We got out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of us. We're still imprisoned right here and right here. Our mind and our, and our heart, our emotions, right? We got, there's still roots that remain. And I'm just like, we can't win. I, I, I don't want to be like them, but I'm just like them. Or I overcorrect and I'm like, oh, I still blame you, <laughs> right? There's, it's like, how frustrating is that feeling? And I can see some gears turning in us right now identifying some of the cycles that you and I have gone through. Addictions maybe in the family, sadness, bitterness, overcorrection that your parents carried, grandparents carried, and now you carry. And I'm not saying everything wrong in our lives have been passed down, but what I am pointing out is that sin can take root in our life and continue to do damage generation 
after generation. That's real. That's real. From alcoholics, you see it generation to generation. From uh, those who have broken marriages, generation to generation. That's real. So we need to deal with it. We can't just pretend, oh, that's not me. That's not me. We see ourselves as individuals. But God said third and fourth generation because he sees us as families. He understands how sin roots in. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? I want to give you just a couple of points. And I hope that you can just grab a hold of these and then work it through because you're not going to work it through here. I hope you take another time to work it through at home or somewhere on a mountain or something. You work it through. Number one, identify it. Say identify it. <laughs> identify how your family has shaped you. Identify how your family has shaped you. Blessings and sins. You got to dig down. How has my family shaped me? And why? What am I dealing with now? You got to name it. Identify it. There's this thing called a genogram. That, uh, that you guys can do. But uh, on, if you guys got your little bulletin, it's a start of one right in the back right here. You guys are going to read these in groups. But take these personally. If you need one, they're in the back. But grab one. Grab one. It helps you take a look at the patterns in your family, seeing how your past might be influencing you now. And you can look at that later. You can look at that later. But this was not easy for me, right? It's like a spiritual 14er. And if you guys are really interested in going deep, I have these packets in the back on your way out. If you want to really go deep, it's uh, several days of digging. And let me tell you, it's painful. Let me tell you, it's painful. You don't need to do it, but it's out there. It's out there. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's this climb that we need to do if we want to be free. Do you want to be free? I guess maybe that's the question. And I'm going to push a little further and give you some biblical examples of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to read you Genesis 12, 2 to 3. God says to Abraham, he, this guy in his lineage, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Ooh, that's good. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And we see that Jesus' lineage goes all the way to Abraham, that this blessing goes thousands thousands of generations, right? Abraham and his family was God's chosen. And on one level, you see the beautiful blessing. And at the same time, you will see patterns of sin from Abraham that goes down, down, down. And I'm going to read you some. Abraham was a liar. He liked to lie, right? He lies about his wife, Sarah, to save himself from, uh, from, the, from the people of the time. He, he says, oh, she's my sister. She's my sister, right? So she was taken by other kings, other men as their bride. Guys, if you do something like that, she will never forgive you. Ever. <laughs> Don't do that. She'll never forgive you, right? But what's funny is Isaac does the same thing. Isaac's going down. He's like, oh, yeah, this is, he's scared that they might kill him for his wife. So he's like, oh, yeah, she's my sister, She's my sister. The lie continues. Isaac's son Jacob lies to his brother and to Isaac for selfish gain, for these birthrights, for the blessing. He's lying for blessing here. And then Jacob's ten sons, so it goes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's ten sons, that's a lot of sons, lies about their brother Joseph being killed, his death, causing so much turmoil in the family. See, Abraham lies, and then click, 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 they all start to lie. 
Then Abraham dealt with favoritism. I'll go fast. He favored Ishmael. Then Isaac favored Esau. Then Jacob favored Joseph. And then Joseph favored. It just goes on. And, there's, and you know what builds up when you favor someone? It, resentment. It's building every generation, right? And you're looking at your family right now. Who was the favorite? Was it me? Was I okay with that? Does my sister hate me? Right? These thoughts are going through. Bad marriages. Abraham had a child out of wedlock with his maid. Bad move. Bad move, Abraham, right? Causing pain and jealousy. Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. Too many secrets. He kept secrets constantly. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. That's a lot of problems right there. I have one wife and zero concubines, and I, that's hard already, right? Yes, blessings are passed down, but curses and sin patterns are also passed down. And I want to ask you, how about you? What cycles through your family? What cycles through your family? What are you working on today? What are you working with? You got to identify it. Number two, this is the hard part. You got to own it. You got to own it. A- accepting generations of blessing and patterns of sin. So I began to work on my genogram or genogram this week again. Probably for, I've been doing this for a couple years now. I've done this with. Uh, uh, some of the guys that I work with, but, um, and I just didn't want to ask you to do something I, I, wa- I wasn't doing this week, so I did this, and here's my story. Here's my, here's my storyline. I, I don't tell you everything, but here's some strong parts of my story. I grew up, my family, my dad's dad, he, uh, my grandfather, grew up in Korea when it was super humble. That was uh, before North and South Korea. They lived actually uh, a part of their lives in North Korea right now. And then somehow they ended up in South Korea, right? My aunt was born in North Korea. And uh, somehow this was before North and South was a thing. And this was before K-pop was a blessing to the world, right? My dad... His father, he came from a good family, a pretty wealthy family. He was well-educated. They were well-educated, my grandfather. They were wealthy. They went to a prestigious universities, which is a big deal in Korea even now. And eventually, my grandfather became a doctor, right? And my grandparents got uh, married, had five kids, and my father was the oldest uh, of son. He had an older sister than it was him. Then came this thing that we all know as the Korean War, right? My grandfather, he went to war, nearly 5 million casualties in three years. Think about that for a moment. That's the population of Colorado being murdered in three years. That's a lot of people. My parents were raised in that environment. Mom, my mom was born in absolute chaos. She was actually born three months after the war began, right? Her father went off to war while my grandma was pregnant, and she told me stories. My grandmother would tell me stories how the whole village emptied out, and she couldn't leave because she was nine months pregnant. She was the only one in her village hiding all alone, right? And so she would tell me nine months pregnant, mom was born three months later, living in constant danger because the war was still going on for two and a half more years, and, and to put a whatever, a ribbon or a, a bow on this, my grandfather never came back for more. So my mom grew up without a father, which is a big deal in Korea, which is a big deal. She grew up without a father, and she always wondered if he would ever come home, if he was alive. Can you imagine that thought going through a child's mind? 
having little means, my grandmother, she hustled. She did all sorts of odds and ends, like cleaning and sewing and selling little things that she could make, doing every, these, every, any job to keep my mom fed, even though she went without, and at the same time dealing with the loss of her husband. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. It's uh, my mom gets married to my dad. My mom grew up obviously very tough. And she became a nurse, and my dad grew up in prosperity, and he became, he had his degree in chemical engineering, and he was well con- uh, taken care of, but grew up in a really strict home. I think everyone grows up in a strict home after war. Now, here comes my brother and I, my, after my parents get married, two crazy boys, and uh, I was told by my family, I don't believe it, that I was a very difficult baby. <laughs> I don't believe it. I tell them, I'd, you're wrong. They said I cried all the time for hours long. And see, you guys agree with me, right? I was very irritable to the whole family. And one of the family stories I was told, and this is not a good one, was that when my grandfather would be irritated by me, he would lock me in a closet as a baby. Yeah, pretty awesome, right? He'd lock me in a closet. And another time, he got so mad that he yanked my arm out of socket because he was uh, disciplining me. And uh, that was like a family thing no one talks about right? And years later, so my parents moved to the U.S., arriving in San Francisco, and that's when abuse started to begin in my family. My father and mother struggled to make ends meet, working 12 hours a day while learning the language, taking care of two kids, living in poverty, living on food stamps in the ghetto. They started fighting. Maybe that's when I noticed, but that's when I noticed. But things got super physical. My father would rage out on, our, on, on the boys, right, beating us. And, and, and so much that the state took us away many times. We ended up in foster care many times. Later to find out that my mom was being beaten too by my father. And every time that she wouldn't come home at night until we went to bed, And leave in the morning early. It was her way of hiding her wounds from us. And so, I hated my father, obviously. I never felt safe at home. And some of you guys know how that feels, where you don't want to be home because you don't feel safe. Abuse escalated and things started to spill out in me. I was constantly fighting in school, from elementary school. From third grade, I decided screw this. I remember just fighting from third grade. I sat outside the classroom for a very long time. I was thinking of some of the third grade teachers. I was like, I would definitely be expelled in in today's schools. But I started fighting. I wanted to hurt people because I was hurt. I wanted to to let people know because I couldn't do that at home. I had so much pain to give. And I can go on and on about my story and the problems that it caused throughout my life. And it was crazy. I want to share this with you because I was at Starbucks this week writing the story. I was like going through my genogram, and I was like, I've done this before. It won't be too bad. So I'm like writing this in Starbucks, and like these two girls are laughing at a YouTube video. I'm just like writing, and I start tearing up. I'm like, oh, that that memory popped up. I was like, like, all right. So I'm typing away. And I start tearing up a little more. I'm like, man, I don't like that either. So I shut my computer, and I, I start walking to my car, and I have a complete meltdown. And I, whew, 
I like wailed in my car, like a guttural, deep, painful cry that I haven't done in a long time. But I was like, man, there's a lot of things I'm still working through. I might have said some things in my car I shouldn't. I did that too, (laughs) screaming, (laughs) you know. But there was so much pain that was still inside of me. And I thought I dealt with it, (laughs) right? I thought I dealt with it. So that's what was going on in me. And I was like, God, you got to help me in these parts because it's still bubbling up in me. But if you would map your life, you would begin to see the patterns of rejection and why you react and why you struggled. And you got to own that. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. It's good for nobody. Because we all have a story. And some of us were running. I mean it. Some of us are running. Some of us, like me, I am in Colorado because I was running. (laughs) And thank God I came to Colorado by God's grace, right? I'm here. But I was running And some of you ran here, ran from your past, ran from your family. And if you would be honest, you're not emotionally healthy. If you would be honest, you're still in the cycle. Even after all these years, you still have not owned it. And I want to ask you, can you identify it? And can you begin to start owning it? And I'm telling you, it's a process. It's hard. It's hard. And number three... A new family. A new family. I'm going to read you something. Galatians 4, 6 and 7 says, Because you are his sons. This is Paul speaking to the church of Galatia right here. You are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So that you are no longer slaves, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you into an heir into an heir. The New Testament describes becoming a Christian as spiritual rebirth into a new family. This statement is huge. Huge. I don't think we understand it deep enough. That we are in, we are in spiritual rebirth. We are being birthed when he says be born again. You are being born into a new family. Think about that. Think about being in a different family for a moment, right? Not some stranger's family. I'm talking about God's family. You're being born into a new family. And he, Jesus takes family seriously. And the Bible talks about the church as a family. And he even says this, and this, I used to read this, and it's like, this sounds disrespectful, Jesus. He says, who is my mother and who is my brother? Because his mom and brother were trying to get him to stop him from doing his ministry because it was causing a little havoc in his town. And he says, who's my mom? Who's my brother? Here are my brothers, and he points to the people around them. Whoever does the will of God are my brothers, my mother, my sister. It seems contrary to how we should respond, contrary to culture. We learned in our life that blood is thicker than water. You've heard that, right? But Jesus says blood is not thicker than the Spirit of God in you. And we are called to God's family. I'm still working through this because this is not easy. But what this means is that we need to learn new spiritual family values. We need new family values. Because there's family values that we have learned and family values that we have caught. And he's saying, you need new family values. New family values that I give you. Allowing God, his word, and his church to reparent me. I think that word reparent is interesting, right? 
into this new family, into new values, into way of God's mind, heart, and blessing. Listen, Hill City, I'm going to close this up. Through the blood of Jesus, you have a new bloodline. That's what that means. You have a father who loves you, and you were adopted into his heritage. And adoption in Roman times was that everything that you owed would be taken by the person who have adopted you. And you get everything that the family gets. So when he would pass, the adopted son, the adopted daughter would have full access to the inheritance. That's what it means to be adopted. That's what it means. So in Christ, we are adopted. We are sons and daughters. And to one another, we are sisters and brothers. Husbands and wives. Before you are husbands and wives, you are sisters and brothers in Christ. Think about that for a moment. That, that, is, that has deep implications. That you're not just my wife. You're just not, not just my husband. But we are Christ brothers and sisters first. We are in the family of God before we can even talk about our family. First, allegiance to that family. Adoption to God's family. Right? Yet, listen here, and this is big. Adoption into God's family does not erase your past. I wish it did. I was like, ah, I wish that like, like some magical thing would happen and everything would disappear in my mind and I would just get good thoughts, right? Happy thoughts. Like, and I've heard growing up in church, just, you know, stay away from negative people. Just be an optimist. Just be an optimist. And I was like, I'm just not an optimist, bro. I'm just not, right? I'll try to fake it. And then, and then, and then Christianity turns into something weird where everyone's like, how are you doing? Blessed. I'm blessed too. I guess you're blessed. I don't want to tell you my junk. I'm blessed too. You're blessed too, right? We all start lying to each other like we're in a weird family. And, 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 some, and, and there's moments, man, I've done church in the past. I'm like, this is weird. I mean, more than like the other stuff, like this is weird. We're all like acting weird right now. Because I just came home from a party last night. I still have the stamp from the club on my hand. And then I'm saying, like, I'm blessed, right? Man, let's not do that. Let's not do that. God doesn't wipe our memories away after salvation, yet he forgives our past. He allows the scars, our weaknesses, our wounds, our memories to remain. And I said, why, God? Why not just erase it, God? Because he knows more than we do. He does. I mean it. Can you trust God with your wounds, your past, that he can use even that and give it meaning and heal you and heal others? We, I wish that we would learn how to become wounded healers. We don't, we're not perfect. Paul, he carried a wound with us the whole time, the thorn in his fresh, the flesh the whole time, right? So that others would be healed. You are powerful beyond measure, not because you're awesome, but because God is awesome in you. When Christ redeems you, redeems your story, redeems your wounds, you can be a catalyst for future stories of blessing, future stories of freedom, future stories of healing. Can we stand today? 
I'm telling you, this is my favorite verse, and I want to read it over you. It's Genesis 50, 20. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite verse. It says this, you intended to harm me, and this is Joseph, and he's telling his brothers after all the years that he's been through, all the pain he's been through, he was sold into slavery. He was hated by them. And then this is what he says after God brings him through. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to mess me up, but God uses exactly what you gave me, and he redeemed other people with it. He healed other people with it. Man. He's going to take your story, and your story is going to be a a redemption story for someone else. I mean it. He's going to take your story of pain. He's going to take your story that you're ashamed of, and he's going to flip it. He flips the script. That's what he does. That's what God does. Give him praise. Let's close our eyes today just for a moment. I just want you to be quiet for a moment. Just think. What is that in me that you need to deal with, God? What is the harm that people put on my life, God? But God, you can take even the mess and turn it into a blessing, God. You intended to harm me, but God chose it and turned it into good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Can you trust God today? What is that thing that you need to give God today? Take another moment. I ask you just to dig it up and put it into the hands of God right now. Was a promise broken for you? You thought it would turn out differently? Was there betrayal? Were you mistreated? Were you abused? us we're in here more than anything salvation is this it's an invitation into God's family for you and I to take part in what he's doing the saving of many lives Heavenly Father if there's people in here right now who who are far from you Lord God who don't feel like part of the family Lord God who have been hurt by church who have been hurt by people that they love, Lord God. People try to harm them, Lord God. But God, I pray that you can flip that today, Lord God, that you would begin a new chapter of the story. It says in the word of God that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he has the pen to write our story. I pray right now, you're on the second part of that. God, I pray for many of us, for us to turn the page, God, 
that our story is not going to be always like this. That's what we tell ourselves, Lord God. But I pray there's freedom right now in the name of Jesus. I want to invite you to Jesus' family to reparent you into his values, his love, his identity, his freedom, teaching you how to deal with anger, teaching you how to deal with brokenness, with lust, with fear, the way you value God. I pray God do work today. In Jesus' name we pray. You guys can be seated for a moment. Give God praise. We're going to go ahead and take offering and then do some announcements. But I know sometimes it's really easy to think of offering at the end as like an interruption in, in what you're dealing with right now as you're thinking about this sermon or maybe an interruption to worship. But I would just challenge you to think about it as an extension of our worship. Uh, God has given us everything we have, all of our resources, our giftings, our talents. Um, and offering isn't just about uh, putting money in a bag and feeling kind of weird that we're asking you to do that in church. But it's an opportunity to say that you want to partner with what God is doing here at Hill City. And really throughout the world, we have our uh, team back from the Dominican Republic, and we are so excited about the work they did there. Yeah. And that and many other things are some of the things that we support through your gifts at Hill City. And we'd just like to encourage you to give as a, just a sign of your um, submitting and growing and maturing in your faith. So I'm going to pray over the offering as they uh, go ahead and collect that. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to grow in this way in trusting you with our finances. Uh, with our giftings. Lord, we pray that this wouldn't just be an opportunity to give monetarily, but that we'd have people here who take a step and make a commitment to get involved in this church and ministry and in everything we're doing here. Lord, we need the whole body of Christ to do your work, to see the kingdom come. And we pray that we'd see more and more commitment to do that as we submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple announcements. So the first one is for Cultivate. It's a class that I'm gonna be teaching starting next week. It's a four week class. If you have taken growth track and you want to just take the next step in learning more about the Bible, this would be a great opportunity for you. So I'm gonna be doing registrations out in the lobby. You can ask me any questions you have and I'll be sending out a link this week as well where you can register. But I'm really excited about it. We're gonna talk about how to study your Bible, how to uh, practice spiritual disciplines, uh, what we need to know about defending our faith and apologetics, uh, what Christians believe. Maybe you just wanna know what Christians believe. This would be a good class to come to. So we're gonna meet starting next Sunday morning, October 20th at 8.30. And like I said, I'll be out in the lobby. You can ask me any questions you have about the class or register to join. We also have a really exciting thing coming up, a community dinner, October 21st. Yeah. And uh, Monica and Rico have really been taking this on, and it's going to be really awesome. It's going to be an opportunity for a community here at Hill City and in the neighborhood to gather together. 
We're going to meet here at 6 p.m. and hang out and eat food and just hopefully get to know each other a lot better. So hope you'll join us for that again October 21st. As we close, I'm just going to pray one more time. And I read something this morning I just wanted to share with you guys. It's It was a book of prayers. And the prayer said, Lord, help me to shepherd all the small duties of my day, all the small tasks that are in front of me. And it was just a prayer for how to begin your day. And it really struck me that sometimes we don't think, we think a lot about the really big things we have to do, but maybe we don't think about our Sunday afternoons of rest or time with family and friends or anything like that as something we can also give to God and that he wants to use. So I just encourage you to maybe think of that and I'm going to pray that too um, as we just close out and get ready to have the rest of our day and our week. Dear Lord, I do pray that we just entrust everything about our lives to you, that we'd entrust our past, like John spoke about, that we would entrust our future, and that we would entrust every small task of today to you, that we would remember that you are the God who is with us all the time, that you know every thought in our head, every hurt in our hearts, and that you just please fill us with your spirit and help us to go from this place as a witness of your light and your love. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together in your name, we pray. Amen.